0: Uh, Next uh, week, we've got some announcements about uh, what God is doing with respect to the staff in in this community, this congregation, so very excited about that. Uh, We'll have more details uh, next week about that, but we've had some great movement in our search for a worship leader, so we can praise God about that. And again, I'll I'll, uh, take time next Sunday to explain some of the details on that. But I want to jump right in uh, at this point to our new series, which is All Things New, Went through the New Testament and uh, looked at all the instances, all the uses of the term new and, and sort of lined them all up and then picked out several of them that we, might, we would go over in these next weeks um, and, and, and it, just to unfold what it is that God is doing through Jesus Christ in our lives and maybe some possibilities for us in the coming year Um, some spiritual possibilities. I know that you're thinking about your New Year's resolutions and and how you want to change your 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 job or how you want to change your schedule your relationships. Well let's think a little bit also about what we want to do with respect to our spiritual lives and these um, texts that we're going to be looking at over the next weeks will help us to ask that question and to seek a little bit um, what God might want to do in this coming year. We're going to start off with what I think is the the first and most important one. But before we do that, I thought it would be interesting just to have you turn to the people uh, next to you and, and just share what are some things you're looking forward to in this coming year. So would you do that? What are you looking forward to in this coming year? Share with somebody who's next to you. Just take a couple minutes to do that. All right. 20 more seconds. 20 more seconds. Okay, let's let's come back together. I wish I had a uh, recording of what every person said, but we need to compare it at the end of the year. All right, so of all the things that you're looking forward to in this next year, I want to suggest one more that you add to your list, and we're going to kind of explore this, we're going to discover this. It comes out in this little parable that Jesus teaches or talks about regarding the new wineskin so um, if you would open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got uh, plenty of them to hand to you, Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and it's on page 693 that we're going to be looking at in that particular Bible, Matthew chapter 9, a spiritual possibility for you to add to your list of resolutions and things that you hope for in this year coming out of this uh, little metaphor of the new wineskin. Now let me, as you're looking that up, give you a little bit of context here. In chapter 10, which is the next chapter, we are going to be seeing the calling of the 12 disciples. Jesus will solidify who the 12 apostles are, and then he will send them out to do ministry. And so in chapter 9, there is some preparation for that going on, some preliminary information about um, what Jesus is doing. Uh, what He's accomplishing in the world, and what it will be like to follow Him. And this is going to be helpful for us as we think about this, this coming year and what's next. So, starting in uh, chapter 9, verse 14, we read, Then the disciples of John came to Him, Jesus, uh, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, a couple of things about that verse. John the Baptist here was a forerunner of Jesus. He came to prepare the nation for the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, proclaiming his coming, and, and he had some disciples. John did. Now, when Jesus came, John was quick to realize that he was uh, subject to Jesus. He was below Jesus. And and some of his disciples went and followed Jesus, but not all them did, did. Some continued. Uh, to be, it seems, a little bit confused, and to follow John. And so they come to Jesus and his disciples, and they ask them this, this really kind of a harsh question, is how come, you know, we're, going, we're fasting and doing all the right spiritual things, and you're not? And, and, and what's funny about it is they say, how come we and the Pharisees? you've got to understand, the Pharisees are sort of the, the, the uh, Navy SEALs of the uh, clergy at that point, right? They're the hardcore religious people, and they do everything right as much as anybody could do things right. And so it would be, I mean, if you try to think of an analogy, you know, let's just say I'm uh, playing catch with, with Brent, playing football with Brent or something, playing catch. And, and I say to him, you know, how come Brent, Aaron Rodgers, and I throw the football like this, but you throw it like this, okay? Now, Aaron Rodgers, for you not know, is a, is a Packers, uh, the Packers quarterback. And I know I shouldn't really be encouraging the Packers fans among us. Um, they don't need it. But he did graduate from Cal, so we've got that uh, going on. So, anyway, you know, it, there would be an implication of sort of superiority right there. How come Aaron Rodgers and I, one of the best quarterbacks around, throw the football like this, and you throw it like that? And that's kind of how they're approaching. How come we and the Pharisees, right, we fast, and you guys don't? What's going on here? And Jesus will answer with three different images or or metaphors to help them to, they're going to have to really stretch their minds, and we're going to have to stretch our minds a little bit to get a kind of a different uh, perspective than they came in with. Now, verse 15, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In other words, imagine a wedding in which everyone is fasting. Now, there's a certain. I have two daughters, so there's a certain appeal to that concept for me. Um, but but it would be ridiculous, right? Could you imagine the 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 um, the the, the uh, invitation that you would receive and say, "What would you like for dinner?" And say, you know, um, this will be a fasting wedding, and so there'll be no selection for for what you want for dinner. Juice will be provided, right? Uh, and, and then you get there, and the wedding's going on, and people are just. They're just tired and exhausted because they haven't eaten and they've been sitting in the wedding and the dancing and they're just like dead people on the dance floor. I mean, that's not how you celebrate a wedding because what fasting is about is, is mourning or longing for what is not. A wedding is about celebrating what is. And in a similar way, fasting, in this kind of spiritual way in which the Pharisees and the followers of John were doing is longing for the presence of God, but in Jesus Christ, we have God with us. And so the disciples of Jesus don't fast because what would they fast for? They already have what they would be fasting for. Now, this isn't a statement against fasting. Fasting is a great spiritual discipline. I encourage it in us as a community and individually. Uh, I I, I have a regular rhythm of fasting in my life, and it's very important to me and very helpful. So this isn't something that's against fasting, but what is being said is that we are in a particular season with the presence of Jesus Christ in our midst, and that season, the reality of it changes everything. We have to look at life in a different way. The coming of Jesus changes everything. Now, he's going to reinforce this with a couple more uh, images here. Verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. So um, in, in those days, if you had a garment that had a hole in it, you would get a patch, another piece of cloth, you would put that on there. But if you had not washed, if it was a brand new piece of cloth, and it had not been washed and then shrunk, you would put that onto the garment. And then the first time you washed it, that patch would shrink and it would pull away from the old garment, which is not shrinking anymore. And so there would be then left a bigger rip than what you started with. So no one would do that. You can't just overlay, in other words, you can't just overlay um, what is new on what is old because they won't mesh together perfectly. We'll come back to that. Verse 17, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. So back in the day uh, of Jesus, they would take an animal skin, uh, just a full animal skin, they would sew it up together, sew up all the, the, the openings where the limbs were, and maybe leave the neck open, and then they would put the wine in there, and then seal it up, and it would ferment, and then they could serve the wine from that animal skin, and they would have to treat the animal skin to be able to use it in this way. Now, after a while, the animal skin would become brittle and no longer have the flex that it would need. And so if you were to put in um, the, 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 what was to become the wine, the fermentation process and the release of the gases would cause it to stretch. And if it were brittle, it would break, and then the wine would all spill out, and obviously you wouldn't be accomplishing what you wanted to accomplish. And so you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. You would put it in the new wineskin. Now, Jesus is, is saying here through these different images, the, the, the wedding and then um, the, the, the patch and then the wineskin, what he's saying is that what's happening now in spiritually speaking in the religious kind of realm, uh, in the those who want to pursue God kind of realm, what's happening now is so special and different and unique that you can't just sort of just sort of add on to what has already been going on. Um, Jesus is not, rewrite, is, is not revising the book. He's rewriting the book in a sense. There's a radical departure. It's something totally new. It's not just revised and updated. It's, it's rewritten. It's not just an incremental improvement to what has gone before, but it is something totally new. And here's why. Here's why. In large part, at that time, Judaism had descended deeper and deeper into what was essentially legalism. Now, um, a lot of scholarship has been done recently about this, and there's sort of some arguments about to what extent were there Jews who understood, who, who, who went back to Abraham and understood that, that it was by faith and that you didn't, couldn't earn your salvation, uh, and there may have been a good measure of that. But to a large extent, the ethos of the day was legalism. In other words, we define legalism in one way uh, is assigning worth or spiritual soundness or rightness or value according to what somebody does, okay? That was the ethos of the day. That's what had taken hold, that if, if you did the right things and you followed the right traditions and you obeyed the proper rules and they had spent... Days and days and years rewriting the rules and adding to the rules and adding books and adding to uh, everything that God had commanded. If you did all those things, then you were spiritually sound or you were right with God or, or you, 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 were, you were admirable uh, as, as somebody to emulate. So that's why the Pharisees were at the pinnacle. Because they tried harder. They were the Navy SEALs of the, of the clergy. And they tried harder than anybody else to live out all the rules, to follow all the rules, and to be uh, what they thought a person should be. And so when, the, when John's disciples come and they ask this question, why do we and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not? It's coming out of that understanding. We're doing the right things and you're not. So what gives? You're going around acting like you're it, but you're not doing the right things. You're not fasting like we do. Um, generally, there was, a, there was a fast day once a week. There were festivals of fasting, but then those who were really into it would fast once a week. And so they're saying, we do this. Why don't you, why don't you do it? Um, there must be something wrong with you, spiritually speaking. Um, and so they come with this accusation. And Jesus tells these three stories or gives these three metaphors then to say what he's doing in his ministry is not simply ushering in a better legalism, but he's shattering that whole framework altogether and, restore, and, 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 re, and, and putting in its place something new. He's not just offering a better legalism, a better set of rules for people to follow, but He's giving them something entirely new. And what that newness is, is that a person's value and worth and dignity and whatever you want to call it, um, spiritual soundness is not tied to what they do, but rather it is now going to be tied to what Christ has done. In particular, in going to the cross, to offer himself a sacrifice of atonement on the behalf of those who needed to be atoned for, that's us, because of sin, so that the punishment of God could be on Christ instead of us and we could stand reconciled to God. It's different. It's not just incremental change. It's different than the legalism that was on offer Up into that point. And Jesus gives these three metaphors, these three illustrations to make the point that we're not just looking at incremental change, we're looking at something completely different. Your value, your worth is now tied to something different than what it used to be, what you do. So, for example, if we want to move this, I I made a list of some of the ways this plays out in our lives. If we if we move this forward. To today and some of the, the legalisms that we are tempted to fall into, um, your standing before God, your value or your worth is not based on whether or not you read your Bible this morning, right? As good as that is. In fact, yesterday I was with some of my Emmaus partners and I was saying that I had, I had kind of been falling down in that area of my life and not, you know, doing my devotions like I had had wanted to, and I really saw a difference in my life, and so, um, so I was happy that God was calling me back into that, and I had been more consistent, and I was seeing the fruit of that consistency in my life, and that's a beautiful thing, and yet it's not indicative of my standing before God. It's a good thing. It's a helpful thing, but I don't have to do it in order to be reconciled with God, to be right with God. It's not whether we show up at worship with a life that's all put together. And I find this really becoming the case with us, um, and I just want to keep hammering at this. When we walk in these doors, there is a sense, and especially those of us who are maybe just sort of beginning to dip our toe into the faith, and we're kind of struggling with this, it's a new thing to us. We walk in those doors, and we look at everybody, and we go, oh man, look at all these perfect people, they all have their life together. That's funny, did you hear the rumble? Because we know we do that. And we assume immediately when we look at them that everything is together. And I wish you could be in my office sometimes and hear how when we're doing counseling, none of us has it together completely. And the default mode is not, oh, look, everybody's got it together. The default mode is, is oh, my goodness, here's a bunch of broken people like me. And when we, when we get that and we don't kind of set this bar of, oh, I need to, if I go there, I need to be perfect, or I need to have it all together, then what happens is we open ourselves up to the work of God in our lives, because now we can be honest about what we're really struggling with, and we can seek, seek help, we can have people pray for us, and have the Holy Spirit intervene in our lives, and so it's incredibly important that we don't attach, that we don't fall into that legalistic trap, you know, are you a Pharisee, uh, are, are you good enough, do you do all the right things, and so, um, this radically changes how we come together and how we gather. Um, it's not about, you know, did we do Count Me In the last time? You know, did we show up in the video that we show, um, and, and look, I'm a good Christian because I did Count Me Now, Count Me In, I love Count Me In. It's wonderful, right? But again, our value, our worth, our being is not attached to whether we do these things. That's legalism, and that's not what God has called us to. It's not whether we give enough to the church or to other ministries that we want to support, right? Our value, our worth, our, our, our standing before God, our spiritual soundness is not tied to that. It's not whether we post deep things on the church Facebook page, right? As cool as those things are and have been very helpful to me a lot of times, but, right, if you post a deep thing, now it's not like, right, you know? So, um... I didn't even finish that sentence, but you know what I mean. Um, it's not whether or not when you're always in home group, do you, in your home group, do you always give the right answer, right? You know, there's this tension, like if I say what I'm really thinking, that I know is heretical, but it's what I really think right now, then I will be looked down upon, and I won't be one of the good people, and therefore, uh, so I'm not going to say it. And then what we've done is just closed off that area to, to God's intervention and growth because now I'm going to stuff it back in the closet and just pretend like it's not there, go on with my merry business, and keep believing this heretical thing um, and because I haven't gotten it out in the open so people can pray for me and, and work with me and help me on this, right? So what if we actually, in our home groups, we said what we we're really thinking and then responded in love and grace and, and help? And, and I'm not saying we, we diminish truth at all but that we get real and we acknowledge that, that uh, our value and our standing before God and before the people in this home group is not, a t- not tied to us having the right answer all the time. Otherwise, we just sit around and everybody goes, Jesus, the answer is Jesus, right? Because we know we're safe if we say that uh, at every turn. Um, and we could go on and on about the, the trappings that, that we create in a community like this, the legalistic kind of trappings that we create and it's, but it's not only here where we create those trappings. We create them in other places, too. Not only is it the burdens we imagine God put, puts on us, but it's the burdens that we imagine people put on us, too. So this was the holiday season, and probably some of you were spending time with family. You ever have that temptation? You have that feeling when you go back to visit family, like, I got to make sure that I, I tell them how much I make now and what kind of car I'm driving now? And you feel all this burden to impress them with how much you, better you have become since the last Christmas when they saw you, right? And so it's not a burden from God, but it's a burden from the people around you that you place on yourself um, or, or your spouses. Do you ever, you ever compare yourself to the, you know, you women, you compare yourself to the Proverbs 31 woman? You know, some of you know the last chapter of the book of Proverbs is about like the perfect wife and any wife who reads that immediately feels like just that they don't live up and they could never live up to this. It's overwhelming. And so you're in your marriage and you're thinking, uh, I have this burden to be this person for my husband. Or husbands, how about us? You know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, there's a challenge, right? I mean, how many of us live up to that? And, and we, we, we have that burden, though. I, I want to love my life. I want to be Christ to her, but I'm going to fail over and over, I want to be like Christ, but I'm going to fail over and over again. I can't live up to that burden, and yet I, I, it, it's a form of legalism if I'm continually beating myself up um, against that and, and, and saying I'm not worthy or I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not fit, sound, because I'm holding myself to that standard. Um, and we can do this with boyfriends or girlfriends the same, um, or we feel this burden, you know, did I post or tweet or Instagram the coolest thing today, you know? Um, maybe, maybe I, you know, you 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 missed a day, and and so you just feel like, man, my friends are gonna leave me, um, eh, you know. Uh, will they like this post if I post it? How many likes will I get? You know, mm, it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna get like 40 for this one. It feel so valuable and worthy. Or if you have like, you know, if you have the cool tattoo. Um, that's one, for one group of us, I think that's a badge of honor, um, and fitting in. Um, or if you know what the coolest micro brew is recently that's come out, um, can be a badge of honor. Or if you have the coolest hobby, like if you make really good cupcakes these days, then you're in. Um, or, uh, like on my street, you know, if you're for the right cause. If you have identified the cool, the right cause, then people will like you and you will... You will be in, and you'll be accepted. Um, and if you like the wrong causes, then, then you won't. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing. We could go on and on. I'm going to stop there. But in the new wineskin faith, none of these, none of these things contribute one shred of value or worth to us. You understand this? In the new wineskin faith, none of none of these things contribute one shed, one shred of value or worth to us as human beings. And, and this is the season of New Year's resolutions, and and that's good. And I'm sure you share, some of you shared resolutions that you have, and you're thinking about things you want to do. And I know I'm thinking about things I want to change and do, and and that's great. Um, but there's a dark side to the New Year's resolution thing, and that's this: is this sort of um, this sort of uh, incessant demand to make ourselves enough? Do you ever feel that this incessant demand that we place on ourselves to make ourselves enough? And the New Year's resolution thing, the dark side of it is it plays into that. If I just do this. I'll be enough for my spouse. If I just do this, I'll be enough for the people around If I just do this, I'll be enough for God. And He will love me and take me in. And I will be spiritually sound and worthy in His sight. And it's the dark side of the whole New Year's resolution thing. Right now, I just, just hear this, right now in the eyes of of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are as beloved if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ and your sin has been atoned for by His death on the cross, you are as beloved, valued, cherished, important as you ever have been or ever will be. You hear that? Right now, as we're sitting here, in Christ, you are as beloved, valued, cherished to Him, to God, as you ever have been or you ever will be. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the cross. That your worth before God and thereby, there from that before everybody else who's around you, your worth and your value is tied to nothing other than the fact that you were made in the image of God and when you turned away from God, he went to the cross and died for your sins and was raised again as proof that that was efficacious and as a result, you have all the value and the worth that anybody could ever attribute to you. What more could be said about you than that the God of the universe was willing to die for you? Tell me. Like how many likes on Facebook... Compare to that, right? There aren't enough likes on Facebook to compare to that one statement that has already been made. You can't post a cool enough Instagram picture to begin to compare to that. You can't make enough money. You can't have the title, the credentials. You can't do all the church things. Nothing compares to that statement that's already been made in the person of Jesus Christ. It's done. That's it. Relax. Take a deep breath. God has already said everything that needs to be said about you in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the new wineskin faith, and I want to say that that's freedom. That's freedom. As we go into this next year, my prayer is that you would resolve and I would resolve to live under that freedom and that grace poured out in Jesus Christ over this next year. And that we might extend this freedom to each other. That we might, we might be uh, the, uh, the hands and feet of God's grace in each other's lives by extending the freedom we have in Christ, the grace that's been poured out upon us to each other. That's what the community is for. Is to reinforce what's already true about us in Jesus Christ. To keep proclaiming it into each other's lives. Look, you're trying, to, you're trying to earn it again. You're trying to become valuable by doing something. You're trying to earn it. Don't do that. It's gonna hurt you. It's not true. It's not. That's what the community is for. And we need to work at getting better at this in this coming year. Proclaiming the gospel into each other's lives. I've been reading this book called um, Accidental Pharisees by Larry Osborne. That great title, Accidental Fa- Pharisees. And uh, in this book, um, I want to just read one little section from it. There are lots of legitimate implications that can be drawn from Scripture. The Holy Spirit has probably prompted you to apply some of them to your life. That's one way God takes us to a deeper level in our walk with Him. But the moment my personal application of the implications of Scripture becomes the lens through which I judge others, something has gone terribly wrong. The black and white commands of Scripture are not open to differing interpretations. We don't have the freedom to pick and choose which of the Bible commands we like and which ones we don't, which ones we agree with and which ones we find outdated. We don't have the freedom to lie, steal, slander, turn a deaf ear to the poor, hoard the gospel, worship idols, or fornicate. But we do have freedom in many other areas. And listen to this. And it's this freedom that can drive the fledgling legalist within us all crazy. In those areas where it's unclear what we're supposed to do. And people do it in different ways. And we don't like that. And so we want to bring down a law, even when there's not one in Scripture. And then we start imposing that on each other. Once the Holy Spirit places a clear call on your life to do something or not to do it, it's hard for most of us to fathom why everyone else didn't get the same memo, right? And when a community starts sort of forcing these extra-biblical things on each other or holding people up to expectations and standards that are not of God, then legalism sets in and we stop serving the purpose for which we came into existence, which was to reinforce the gospel of grace in each other's lives. Now, there's a the whole thing about accountability, and we're going to talk about that another time. And, and, and they two fit together fine. You just have to think it through a little bit. But the main point I want to make is that as a community, this is our job is to... to re- so many times we get frustrated with people, and we're frustrated with them for things that are not sin. Right? And... What are we supposed to do in that circumstance? We have these high expectations of the people around us. But whether they meet them or not, some of them, it's not sin. And so we're like the Pharisees piling these burdens on people around us. And they feel it. And what God is calling us to do is to release release the people around us from those burdens. Now, if there's sin, you know, we need to do the accountability thing. But in so many instances, what frustrates us is not sin. It's just that we want them to do it the way we want. And so this year, as we go into this year, my prayer is that we would, we would embrace anew the depth and the power of the gospel of grace. And that we would, first of all, internalize it for ourselves. And all those expectations we keep trying to live up to, we would see in the light of the gospel. We would stop trying to find our value and our worth in being this or that or the other thing, number one. But then, as that happens inside of us, we would, we would stop putting those burdens and expectations on the people around us as well. That's what it means to reflect the gospel into people's lives. And the result is freedom. The result is a spring in your step. The result is an openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The result is the the freedom to love people, just flat out love them like Jesus did. So we're going to celebrate communion. This is your first communion, I'm guessing, in this new year. And here's what I'd love for you to think about as you come forward for communion this morning. And this table is open to anybody who's placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a regular attender here or a member of this church. Um, if you've come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this table is open for you. And if you haven't made that decision, then we're just as glad that you're here with us this morning. We hope that you'll continue to be a part of this community, to get involved in a home group, continue to ask questions and to seek. We want to be a place where... There's that freedom to do that seeking. So we're glad that you're here. But when you come forward this morning, for those of you who are coming forward this morning to take communion, here's what I'd like you to pray about and think about. Number one, what burdens have I placed on myself that need to be lifted so that I might rest fully and finally in the gospel, in the grace of God? How am I trying to find my worth in the things that I do, or the status that I have, the ways that I measure up. Maybe there's just some of you, the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit works in these kind of moments. There might be something that you've been laboring under for years and you didn't even realize it. Some way that you're trying to to earn your way. And God's pointing that out to you. And He's saying, look, stop living under this burden. Your value, you will never be valuable enough, worthy enough, if you keep trying to earn it in this way. I have made my statement about you in Jesus Christ, and nothing compares. And so today, when you come forward to take communion, you want to lift that burden off and free yourself from it and live in the freedom of the gospel. And then, at the same time, I'd like for us to pray about how maybe we have been putting, we've been Pharisees to the people around us, putting expectations on them, laying burdens on them that are not of God. And that in this coming year, whether it be with our spouse or with our extended family or whoever it is, the people in our church, our home group, how in this coming year we are going to resolve to release those expectations. We still want to be holding people accountable and and, and be in their lives in that way. But enough of the legalism thing. Let's throw that off. Let's throw that off together this morning. So I remind us, and this is really at the center of what we talked about today, that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus um, gave thanks. And when he had given thanks, he broke bread saying, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And this is indicative of the statement that God has made about us through Jesus Christ, that our value and worth is tied up in his statement of who we are and not in what we do. And there's tremendous in freedom in learning to accept that Daily. So, Lord, would you help us today to accept your grace and to live more deeply into it? Would you help us to release the people around us from the unnecessary burdens that we place upon them? Would you help us to see and to accept and to absorb the incredible statement you have made about us in the person of Jesus Christ? nothing greater can be said over us about our value and our worth than that the God of the universe would become like us, offer Himself on the cross for us, endure separation from the Father, and then be raised again as a demonstration that effectively all things have been made new that change has come, that there's freedom and grace and newness of life. Would you, Lord, impress that more and more deeply in 2013 into our hearts and minds and let it work its wonderful, beautiful, transforming power. We pray in Christ's name.